Tonight, I've asked Pilar to share her story. Hello, I'm Pilar. I'm an alcoholic. Um, thanks for being here. It's fucking crazy out there. And uh, I would not be here if I hadn't asked to be here tonight. <laughs> so either y'all really needed a meeting or you're a little crazy for driving in this stuff. Man, it's crazy. Um, anyway, my sobriety date is July 20th, 2010. Um, I still find that hard to believe. I sometimes I'm like, am I sure I have not had a drink? But I haven't. I haven't had a drink in uh, over eight years. Um, I guess I'll kind of start at the beginning. Um, Let's see. I'm the youngest of six. I was born in Mexico. Um, My mother was a single mother. She raised us on a waitress salary in South Texas, in uh, McAllen. It's a little town that borders Mexico. Um, She does not speak very good English. Um, Definitely didn't speak hardly any English when we, when I was little. So, um, yeah, you can imagine, like, there was not a lot of money. We were lucky enough to live in a house that my grandfather had given my mother, and that's pretty much what saved us, I think, from being really, really bad off. Um, But yeah, the youngest of six, not a lot of money coming in, grew up on welfare, hated it. I knew I was different. The house that we lived in was in a good neighborhood, so I went to good schools, but um, I stuck out like sore thumb. I didn't wear the Nikes, I didn't wear, you know, like, I didn't look like everybody else. I had hand-me-downs that I fucking hated. Um, You know, I would, I remember, like, my sisters would have, like, these cool, my favorite, this is so lame, but, like, the one thing that I looked forward to the most was getting, there was this one specific, like, jumpsuit, and it was, like, light gray, and it had pink flowers with, like, a white collar, (laughs) and I was so excited to get that. so eventually, yeah, that became mine, and wow, I had terrible taste in clothing when I was younger. Um, what was also really exciting was when I would get, I remember I was telling my wife we were at the airport recently, and um, I would get hand-me-down backpacks. And so I remember when I got my first Jan Sport, because that's what everybody else had, was a Jan Sport. And so my sister was like about to graduate, and so I got her like bright, obnoxious, bright orange Jan Sport. And I just thought it was really cool. Um, So typical, I feel like I hear this a lot, but, um, you know, I was the kid that, like, uh, I was, I did well in school. Um, I loved math. That was the only class that I never got in trouble in. I paid attention. Um, And and I did really good in school, but it, like, I hated um, thinking of myself as like a nerd and so I would act out a lot like I would get in trouble on purpose so that I would be the cool kid or whatever and um eventually that got me to you know hanging around with the wrong people and it led to me being expelled and um doing drugs and smoking cigarettes like 
in fifth grade. Um, I got expelled at the end of eighth grade and uh, pretty much dropped out after that. Um, I had scholarship to Duke University because at seventh grade I placed really high on the SAT and so um, they gave me like a full ride to Duke University but I threw it all away because I didn't want to be the cool kid. I didn't want to be the nerdy kid. I wanted to be a cool kid. So um, yeah, school was, academically it was easy for me. Socially it was really hard. Um, I hated, like I said, I hated being like the kid that, you know, like had all the hand-me-downs and like in elementary, like my teachers would buy me school supplies and like, I, I hated it. It was very embarrassing and I knew from a very early age, I knew that that is not what I wanted for myself. Um, I knew that I would never have a family until I could support my family. Um, so I started working uh, pretty young. I moved to Mexico with my mom. She went to take care of my grandparents who were dying um, when I was about 15, like 13 to 15 or something. And um, so I could work there. And, um, and I didn't have to go to school. So I worked there, made like $5 a day. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, that's working and making money became a priority and college, no one in my family had ever gone to college. So no one ever told me like, if you sacrifice working now, you can have a good career later. Um, college was never pushed on me. It was like, get a good job, make money. Um, let's see, my home life was very chaotic, um, I, the youngest of six, so my, um, older brothers and sisters were always fighting each other, like, physically fighting each other, and it scared the shit out of me, and so I would always go hide in the closet and I remember just like always calling my mom at her work and she would get mad because I'd be calling her and I'd be like mom but they're fighting again like I can't I don't I don't know what to do I don't want to be here and so that just translated to me spending a lot of time outside by myself I would my rollerblades were my best friend I would go and just as soon as I would get home from school I would go outside and skate all around the neighborhood or I would shoot hoops outside my house by myself because again, like I said, like <laughs> I was uh, socially uh, just awkward, man. I just didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know. I just I didn't I didn't want anybody to know what was going on with me at home. And um, you know, my family was very much like, whatever happens, first of all, we don't talk about it. Second of all, it doesn't leave this house. Um, so. I learned very young to just like, just kind of sweep things under the rug and um, and just, you know, get up and keep going. Um, I watched my mom struggle trying to raise six kids and, you know, even at that, like, we had one of my friends, um, one of my brother's friends whose mother had passed away, so she was also raising him. And so there was seven of us, really. Um, and you know, I, I watched her 
every day fight and like every day get up and go and work this job and you know her body hurt and um and aside from that she would also like at home like make things to sell like just try to make money and um and she was very christian she was a christian like she prayed a lot and so growing up that's what i saw i saw my mom praying a lot and i saw us struggling and so i had a very skewed relationship a skewed vision of like what a god was like what what they were supposed to what this god thing was supposed to do and so i remember man being like uh young and like i would get in the shower and just like cuss god out and be like fuck you i hate you you fucking make you know whatever like to me god was making my mom cry he was doing all these things to us and um yeah so that's that's what i did um I first started drinking in seventh grade because my mom was in Mexico. Um, I was under the care of my older sister who was in, she was a sophomore in high school. And then my oldest sister was the one that was working and paying the bills. And she wasn't really around very much. So it was basically whatever my sister that was the cool kid, sophomore in high school, wanted to do whatever she wanted to do is what we did. And um, I was like perfectly content staying home, watching Saturday Night Live, but she wanted to go out and party. And so we would, she would dress me up in her horrible little skimpy outfits (laughs) and um, put makeup on me. And she would take me to Mexico with her and it was free to get in. So we didn't need any money and it was open bar. And I was, I don't know how old you are in in seventh grade like 13 or something um and so that's how I started drinking uh I you know wanted to hide when I was at the bar too like I did in my normal life just like hide from the world and so she would want to go dance and she'd be like let's go dance let's go dance and I'd be like no I can't I don't know how to dance um first of all I'm like around people which I hated and second of all I'm like in this fucking skimpy outfit which I hated like it was a horrible combination so she, her solution was drink this and so I I'd never had that feeling like people talk about like oh when I had my first drink like I knew that this is what I had to do the rest of my life I didn't have that feeling like it was just like all right sh- like this will do for now I guess um and so man alcoholic from the get-go um shots I take shots blackout from the beginning um and I was god I look at a 13 year old now like I look at my nieces and nephews and I think of how much alcohol I put into my body at that time and the things that I was doing to myself and it breaks my fucking heart um I god within a month I think had my first uh alcohol poisoning in Mexico, like, was getting arrested, like, was getting arrested in Mexico, which is fucking scary, when a police, police gets in the car, and, like, the guy that was driving the car gets put in the cop car, and then they, like, drive you out in the middle of a field, and <coughs> those are the kind of situations I was putting myself in, um, because by then, it was just, like, yeah, this is cooler than staying home and watching Saturday Night Live, um, Eventually, my sister started selling drugs, and I 
got into like acid and smoking weed and all that stuff um, and life got really dark really fast and by the time I was 17 I wanted to kill myself uh, there was one tall building in that town because it's a tiny little town and I obsessed over it I would draw it like I would be fucked up on acid and like drinking and shit and I would go stand on on the roof or lay on the roof and obsess about jumping off this, this uh, building and it's funny because I came in here and I was like no I was never suicidal <laughs> I forgot about that um, but I knew like I knew then that something needed to change and uh, luckily I met um, I met someone who became my first girlfriend um, who was a complete normie and she was moving to Austin for college at the end of the summer and um, and I was like, shit, I'll come with you. I'd never been to Austin before. So I saved some money and I put what I had in a bag. I like literally was a kid that moved to the big city with a bag and that was it. And that was the only person I knew. And um, I remember coming here, I mean, I was working at McDonald's like when I was in the Valley and I remember coming here, I was making 5.15 an hour, that's what it was, minimum wage back in the day. And I got here and I landed a job making $10 an hour and I thought I had arrived. <laughs> um, and I would, every once in a while, call my mom. I have a cell phone, so I would like go to the payphone and call my mom. I had to buy a calling card because it was long distance, like, oh my god, I feel so old. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I would call her and I would send her money. And when I was dating that girl, things were good. I had a good job. I wasn't drinking because I was underage. Um, I smoked pot every once in a while, but I never really liked it. And I just kind of focused on my job. And um, I didn't really have a life though outside of that. I just worked and worked and worked and tried to make as much money as I could. And I got promoted and I ended up staying with that company for 13 years, but... Um, I did really well, and then I decided that I didn't want to be with that girl anymore after four years um, because she was a little crazy. And um, so right when I was about to turn 21, we broke up, and I, um, I didn't have any friends. And so I moved into the apartments over there's this, I know there's a lot of visitors here today. There's this street called Riverside <laughs> um, on the east side that you could, back then, get an apartment for like $400 a month. So I moved into these apartment complex where there's, uh, specifically for students, I had gotten my GED, that was the first thing I did when I got to Austin, I got my GED, and, um, and I started community college when I was 20. And so I was now a student, I was single, um, I went and you're supposed to go like knock on these people's doors uh, to meet your like potential roommates. It was like a complex where it was like a four bedroom apartment and like everybody paid their own for their own room and everybody was students. So I like got a list and I uh, walked, walked around and I found this apartment where there was three guys living there. They never locked their door, it was a constant party. 
there was a keg in the room that I was going to be staying in. Um, <laughs> there was a big burn in the carpet from some like something had fallen over and burned. Uh, they had an illegal guy sleeping on the couch that didn't pay rent, and they had a cat with a cone. And I was like, yes, this is where I want to live. So um, I did that. I went from, like, not really partying, doing very much, being very sheltered, to all of a sudden, like, people want to know who I am, and, like, I was the life of the party, and... Um, so my drinking took off, um, and I didn't, at first I, w I was still under 21, so at first we would just party at the house, at the apartment, um, and then once I turned 21, we would uh, go downtown, and um, I don't recall it ever being fun. I was told by a lot of people that it was, you know, oh, yeah, it was so much fun, whatever. I, I don't recall it ever being drunk. Like I said before, I was a blackout drinker from the very beginning, so stories always had to be told to me, and they were not very funny the next day. Um, I got in a lot of trouble. Needless to say, I dropped out of school. Um, school was the one thing that, like, that was missing for me. Like, I... I just wanted to be a good student, um, <clears throat> and eventually that didn't matter anymore. Um, I was hanging out with some really fucked up people, um, and I, you know, I was putting myself in really dangerous situations. I was hanging out with drug dealers and... Um, yeah, just really shady people. Um, I woke up one day. We had, I had gone to... So I was like that person that's like at spring break and not even in college. And I had gone to the beach for spring break. And um, the guy that was supposed to be my best friend, um, I had been hanging out with him. And um, I woke up the next day in an alley in the back of his house in my truck and didn't think anything of it, drove off, um, and then later found out from his roommate that he had drugged me and um, recorded what he did. And um, she showed me the video. And I told my roommates that I was living with at the time and um, we made a plan to have him come over and kick his ass. And <clears throat> um, that's just the kind of life I was living. That's the kind of people I was surrounding myself with. Um, things got really dark after that. I was drinking, pretty much drinking, not pretty much, I was drinking every day. And I was blacking out every single day. Uh, I didn't eat because it would fuck up my alcohol absorption so I would work and I would drink and I was very angry all the time I was very irritable and I didn't care about anybody and I didn't care I didn't, definitely didn't care about my family um, I just didn't care and <clears throat> I became I became this person that I 
like all the things there there were two people in my life that I despised and it was my uncle and my brother and I became them um, I used women I was selfish I just cared about myself um, and at the end I was in a relationship um, for four years I did this a lot I would get in these really long relationships um, which I was never faithful in any of them um, and so I don't know why I, I just I don't know I was always in relationships but always messing around and um, my last relationship that I was in before I got sober was four years and I put that girl through hell she saw the worst part of me um, she was no innocent party uh, she was a dancer at a gentleman's club that's yeah that was the kind of picking I was doing back then um, but I learned a lot from that relationship I did after I got sober I did everything opposite of what I did in that relationship um, but I bring that up because I got to a point in, in that relationship she would get very violent when she would drink and if I was in a blackout, I would hit her back. And um, that's something that I carried in sobriety and I couldn't forgive myself for for a long time. Um, eventually, that relationship ended. I got in a lot of legal problems. I uh, picked up a couple of DWIs, a lot of PIs. Thank God I was never charged with any um, battery or family violence or any of it she always ended up going to jail um but yeah I thought I was hiding my drinking from my family and eventually they started to catch on um I had moved back home for a little bit because I just I felt like I just needed I just needed my family I just needed love and so I went home and um that was the worst decision ever because I just took me so, um, and then I started doing cocaine there. And that, uh, man, my, my disease just took off after that. Um, so finally, when I was back in Austin, I, I had heard that three DWIs was a felony and I had had a pit bull. And people used to tell me when I would try to get an apartment, having a pit bull and trying to get an apartment is worse than having a felony. Mm -hmm. So then I knew that if you had a felony, it would be really hard to get an apartment. So <laughs> when, when I, I had heard that a third DWI would be a felony, and I was like, oh, I don't want a third one. Um, so then I was just, I started, like, not driving when I would drink. And then my lawyer was like, you, you really should go to AA um, to get your little card signed so that the judge sees that you're trying to be better. I was like, all right. Um, and I, you know, the first, the first DWI, I lied. And I was like, no, I don't normally drink and this, whatever. I told them what they wanted to hear and I got the minimum sentence. And then on the second one, I just told them everything. Like I was tired of, of lying. And um, I saw them like, I don't know. I don't know why I drink the way I drink. And, um, 
because I had I, I was surprised to get a second one because I had heard in all the DWI classes 80% of the people that get one DWI will get another one and I was like no that's not gonna be me and I did and I was just dumbfounded um, so I finally got honest um, I was just in enough pain you know like like I knew like when I would get drunk I would write and then I would read it the next day and like and I still have some of those writings and um, it's like I knew that I was killing myself. Like I knew when I was drunk that I was killing myself, but I didn't know on the day to day that that's what I was doing. And and I knew that I wanted to get out, but I didn't know again. You know, I thought I was having fun. And um, so that second DWI was a blessing. Um, I started coming to meetings because it was suggested by my lawyer and um, and I came to meetings for about a year. They gave me a machine, the judge gave me a machine that I had to blow into every few hours or something. And, um, and I had to carry it around with me everywhere. And the judge said, if you blow one time, if you blow a negative, um, you're gonna go to jail for a year, one full year, day for day. And I was like, I don't like being locked up. I don't like being told what to do. Like, I did all that when I was younger. I was like, you know, I got sent away to special schools and all this shit. I was like, I don't know. Okay, I won't drink. And so, um, so I had to quit drinking because of that. And I remember, like, that was, like, the cheapest option. Like, the other option was to get an alcohol monitor on my ankle and... I had heard that if you put a slice of ham between the between the band and your skin, that it doesn't detect the alcohol. And so I was like, well, maybe I can pay a little more to get that so that I can try to put the ham in there so that it doesn't detect the alcohol and just drink. But I couldn't afford it, so I had to stick to the machine. And um, um, the judge told me, if you come back in a year, um, and you haven't had any any alcohol in your machine, then um, we'll get rid of it. So I didn't drink for a full year. Um, before that, I will say, before that, I was coming to meetings. I had a device in my car, um, and I would give myself goals, and I would say, I'm not going to drink for 30 days. I'm not going to drink for 60 days. I'm not going to drink for 90 days. And then I would slowly start to like, okay, I'm not gonna drink for two weeks. Okay, I'm not gonna drink for a week. So I did that for a whole year um, before I got the machine. And um, and I would I would hit it. I wouldn't drink for 30 days, and then I would go have a beer. And then I wouldn't drink for 90 days, and then I would have a beer. And then eventually one day I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like I tried to. I went out one night and I tried to get drunk, so I got mad at my ex-girlfriend. And um, I was taking a bunch of shots, and, like, I couldn't get drunk. And because um, it was, like, that whole, like, a belly full of alcohol and a head full of AA, like, that's the worst combination. So I'd been, here com yeah, I'd been coming in here long enough to know that I shouldn't be doing that. And I could not fucking black out. Um, and so that was July 19th. Um, July 20th, I woke up, and I was like, what, what am I doing? Like... Why do I continue to drink at 
I'm drinking because of this person. I'm like playing the fucking victim. Like I knew that I was playing the victim that I had done it all my life. It's like, oh, poor me, I had this horrible childhood. And I was raped and all this shit. Like, like I was 20, 26 years old. It's like, grow the fuck up. Um, and something that was, that my mom taught me when I was really young was like, she would say, these are the cards you were dealt and it's up to you what you do with them. So I either let all these things like hold me down like they were, or I do something about it. And so that morning, for whatever reason, I decided I wasn't going to drink anymore. And, um, man, um, I went back after I got the machine, I went back (laughs) and the judge had retired. (laughs) <laughs> and she had not made a note of our promise <laughs> in my record. And so I got to keep that machine a lot longer. <laughs> um, I ended up having it 18 months. So, um, so yeah, I was forced into sobriety. Um, I thought there was a couple times where I was like, well, I only have to take my machine to get tested once a month. So by the time my PO finds out that I haven't been to test my machine, that'll give me like six weeks. And then by then, like I could just leave the country. Like I was planning on leaving the fucking country just so I could have a drink. Um, So yeah, I came in here. I decided not to drink anymore. I I had drank the Kool-Aid, I guess. I had listened enough to know that I was bullshitting myself and that there was a different way. And um, I remember my very first meeting, uh, I just remember feeling that something was wrong but I didn't know what and I went home and I cried and um, and I cried a lot for the first two years. And um, it's like the reality of what my situation was was just fucking hit me in the face. And it's like this is like, I describe it as like putting little boxes, little pretty little boxes of shit in the closet and just like stuffing them all in there. And then I got sober and I just opened the door and I was drowning in my own shit. Like that's what I describe the early sobriety as. And um, at 10 months, I didn't. I remember being really mad at AA because like nobody would come talk to me. <laughs> I was like, I'm fucking cool. Don't y'all know? <laughs> like, why don't y'all want to come talk to me? <laughs> and um, but I would show up late to meetings and I would leave right away. And I'd be like, why don't these people talk to me? Anyway, so I was really mad at AA for a while because I didn't have any friends. And then I, it dawned on me that I, like I could talk to somebody. And so um, I started to get to know people. And um, at around, yeah, at 10 months, I was not working a program. I had a sponsor. I had started work, uh, I, had, I had picked a sponsor and I'd started working the steps and I got to the fourth step and I fought this poor guy. He's still sober. Um, I fought every single step. I remember our first meeting we met for like, like two hours and I was just going on and on and on about how my life was unmanageable, like giving him all these examples. And then he's like, so do you agree that your life is unmanageable? That you were powerless over alcohol? It's like, 
no, I didn't say all that, like, no. <laughs> and so, because, you know, I had been on my own since I was really young, um, you know, when I moved up here or whatever, I had a really hard time admitting that I was powerless, like, because I thought, like, I'm, I'm a pretty tough chick, like, I'm not powerless over anything. Um, and so that became really clear to me at 10 months when I was not working a program. I got rid of that sponsor because he wanted me to do a four-step and it was like the winter and I get really depressed in the winter and I was like, I can't do my four-step right now because I already get depressed and I just can't think about that shit. And so I got rid of him and um, I paid the price. At 10 months sober, I was sitting at my uh, dinner table one day um, working on homework and I had this really strong desire to stab myself in the stomach um, because I was at that jumping off point where like I couldn't I didn't want to drink because I had made myself that promise and I knew enough people in the program that I didn't want to let anybody down but I couldn't fucking stand what was going on in me anymore like I couldn't stand my situation and so that night I um I shaved my head, I had a Britney moment, and, um, and I slept for 19 hours, I think it was. And I got up the next day and I went to a meeting and this woman was picking up a 10-year chip and um, I asked her to be my sponsor. And I worked with her, I got all the way through to, I got through the fourth and fifth step and I learned some really cool things in my fourth step working with her, she pointed out how, like, all these resentments that I had towards my family. I had so much resentment towards my mom for not, like, having a better career and, like, putting me through college and all this shit. And it was, like, I learned from her that my family are just humans, too, and they're just trying to make it, and they all, you know, we all experienced the same thing, but we all had different ways of, of dealing with it. And that was huge, man. Um... I don't know why I placed so many expectations on my mother, but, um, so that was really neat. And then, um, I quit working with her because I didn't like the life that she led and, um, I wanted to work with someone that was, that I admired more. And so I ended up, uh, getting a guy sponsor, um, and this guy was like, he, he knew the big book, and he was, you know, he was just a cool guy, and, like, when I first got sober, I thought that I had to change all of me, like, I let my hair grow out, I used to have a huge mohawk, I let all my, my hair grow out, I took all my piercings out, um, I started wearing shirts with sleeves on them, like this, um, I started wearing regular pants with no holes, and I got rid of all my chucks, and I just thought, like, that I had to change all these things about me and thank god that's not true um all i've had to change is really the way i react to life but like i'm still the same person um so anyway i thought that this guy was cool because he like was just like this kickback chill dude but he was sober and i was like i want i want to be that person and so he took me through the book which was a game changer for me um, I found a lot of myself in the book. 
Um, and the part that I found most importantly in the book was uh, the we agnostics was a huge chapter for me. It was uh, learning that like deep down within every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. I could connect with that. I could connect with the um, disease being a spiritual malady. Um, I've never really understood the physical allergy part. Um, but I could get down with the spiritual malady because I do believe that I am a good-natured person. You know, as a kid, like, I was always, I've always been, like, a hopeless romantic. And so as a kid, like, I always, I never wanted to hurt anybody. Um, I always wanted to help people. And so I knew that I had become a person that I, I didn't want to be, and so I knew that I was sick. Um... So this was very conflicting because I came in here hating God. And, you know, like when I picked meetings that I would go to, I would avoid all the ones that were in churches because I didn't want to have anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I, I come in here and, like, this whole thing is about God. And um, it was really neat to start to understand that, like, God could be anything. And um, what I interpreted that as eventually was that there's this small piece inside of me that desired to be a better person. And that could be my God, like connecting to that. And like everything that I do to connect to that is God for me. And really what it boils down to for me is just love. it took a lot of time to get to that point. Um, at year three, I started doing yoga, and I started working out, and um, that's really where my program kind of turned around. Um, I was graduating school, and I almost drank because the fear of... I went and got a degree in accounting, which... What the fuck? <laughs> That's probably why I wanted to drink when I was sober, sitting at the table doing homework. That should have been a red flag. Um, but, so yeah, I was about to graduate college, three years sober, and I thought that I had to get this big girl job and, like, make this big girl money and all this stuff, and, um, man... I started to question everything that I had learned up to that point in these rooms. I started to question, like, am I only staying sober because I want the the gifts? Like, does God really have me? Um, like, I just I started questioning everything, and I at that by then my that guy sponsor that I admired a lot had relapsed and. Um, and I was working with a different sponsor, but I had called him one day, and I was like, I need you to remind me why I'm doing this. And he walked me through from the first to the fifth step over the phone in, like, 20 minutes. Um, and I had to accept that that maybe nothing would change. Maybe I was really broke at the end of, like, right before I graduated. I was barely making it. Um, I had to accept that 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 might be it for me. Like, I might just 
always live paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't matter that I got this degree and um, because I was not getting jobs. And um, thank God for that. I ended up getting a, a career that um, is so perfect for me. Like, I don't have to wear, oh my God, when I was in school, I used to have to go play golf with these people and like wear suits and I just fucking hated it. <laughs> and, um, and like my job today, I don't have to do that. I could wear whatever I want. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And like, that's what God plan had planned for me. But I was like, no, no, I have to get the big job. I have to get, go work for this big firm. I have to do this. And I just, I drove myself through the dirt, you know, trying to figure out, and man, I remember asking my sponsor, like, well, how do I know what's, what's God's will? And she's like, well, when it's, when there are a lot of obstacles and it's really hard, that's, that's your will. I was like, well, looking back now, maybe I shouldn't have gotten a degree in accounting because, uh, it was really hard and I cried a lot and, um, <laughs> maybe that wasn't God's will for me. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, that has been one of the, the biggest things in sobriety is trying to decipher, like, what is God's will and what is my will? Mm -hmm. And um, God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free. It's very simple. The bar is really low. <laughs> um, it's very easy for me to to complicate that and then and it's you know sometimes I'm like well life is just hard like does that mean that I'm not in God's will or is this just something hard that he wants me to persevere through um and so that's also been a very awesome experience I've, I've had to face a lot of fears and like push through you know things that have opened up doors for me that I wouldn't have normally and I've been able to do all of it with the support of these rooms. Um, the, la the coolest thing that I just did was learn how to ride a bicycle. Um, I've been wanting to learn for a long time and Reese tried to show me a few years ago and I was just so afraid of like falling and whatever anyway and looking like an idiot. And um, so I finally like, I learned how to ride a bike in sobriety of and and last weekend I did the MS150 which is a bike ride from Houston to Austin um and these are things like I always wanted to learn how to box but like I was too scared to go into the gym and you know I like I've learned how to be a person <clears throat> a productive member of society I've learned that through these rooms by watching other people. And when I don't know how to do something, I raise my hand and I say, I don't know how to do this, or I'm about to do this and I'm fucking terrified. When I was two years sober, I turned myself in on an old warrant and I sat in jail for 10 days, I think. <clears throat> and I came here and I said that I was gonna do that and I got so much support. And I immediately regretted it when I <laughs> was booked. Um, but I sat there. They leave you in there for a few hours, <clears throat> just like before they book you or whatever. And I sat there and I recited 
how it works over and over and over and over until it passed. And um, <clears throat> that was an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, I guess what what changed, I guess the most important thing for me, I want to wrap it up, um, is <clears throat> um, making yourself known in these rooms, meeting people, making friends. All of my friends are in recovery. Um, choosing people that you can be really honest with. Um, and just hanging on, man. Like, God, early sobriety is hard. I did not have another sobering up in me. Um, but it's worth it. You know, none of this made sense when I was here. I could never... I would have never, like, if I heard myself talk the way I talk about God and all this stuff now, um, <clears throat> when I was in early sobriety, I'd be like, this, this bitch. Um, <laughs> my life is so much different today, you know, and I, I am, I was wondering, I was thinking to myself the other day, do I have any regrets? Because my biggest thing is I don't want to live with regrets. Mm -hmm. I don't want to regret that I've hurt anybody, and I don't want to regret that I was too afraid to do something. And I asked myself that the other day, <clears throat> and two things popped into my mind, and one of them was um, right before I got sober, my mother came and lived with me, and I treated her very poorly, and I thought, I regret that. And then I thought, actually, I don't, because, because of my poor behavior then, I now am forced to, to pay more attention to her and to have better behavior around her when she's around. Um, because I have made amends and I don't want to be that person to her again. And the other thing that I regretted was um, beating up that guy. And then I thought, mm -hmm. actually, I don't regret that because <laughs> it was just an expression of who I was at that time. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, to wrap this up, I guess... Um, If you're new, or if you're struggling, or if you're just kind of coasting, hang around because life is a fucking trip, man. Um, there's so much beauty today. Like, I'm in love with life today, which I would have never, ever thought was possible. Um, my biggest aspiration today is to continue to inspire people and to be inspired and I'm so lucky to have ever felt either one of those things and um, <clears throat> there's just so much opportunity to like be a good person um, in these rooms and out of these rooms and it's not worth giving all of this up for, uh, for a drink and something that's really important to me that I, I tell my sponsees is to build a life that you're not, that's not worth giving up. There's, my life today, a drink does not fit anywhere in my life today. Um, I think that's all I have. <laughs>